Our scripture passage for today comes from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, and Psalm chapter 127, verses 1 through 2. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. In Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome all of you to our Lord's Day service in person here at St. John's. And of course, we welcome those of you who are watching in person uh, at home or whatever context that you're in or later uh, this day or this week. We hope and pray that the Lord has blessed you uh, this past week. And if you've had some struggles or if you had a little bit of suffering, I pray that today's service will be uh, enlivening and renewing to you. So now let's spend a few moments asking God to bless our time together. Would you bow your hands and pray with me? Father, we ask now that as we have gathered here on this day, this day that you have summoned your people to worship you, that in that very act we would be encountered by the living God and that through that encounter we would have life, we would have hope, we would have peace reigning within us. Father, you know that there is so much turmoil outside of us as well as within us. And we ask, God, that you would now intervene and reign over our hearts and give us the assurance that you do reign and you will fully reign over all creation. And Father, we pray that as we hear this word, that you would speak to each of us individually, speaking to whatever issue, whatever struggle, whatever need that we have that needs to be alleviated by the words that we're about to hear. And so, God, fulfill your promise that you made through your Son, that when two or more are gathered in his name, there you would be amongst us. Oh, God, would you please bless this message in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So... It goes without saying that you and I live in a world filled with mixed signals. I think this year and last year especially is proof of that being the case. We live in a world filled with constant mixed messaging, whether you're talking about, for example, the mixed messages of COVID-19, this is the worst virus ever, eh, it's more like the common cold, or the mixed messages of systemic racism, like, oh my goodness, we still have so much struggle to where others are like, nah. It's been solved a long time ago. Or the mixed messaging of New York City public schools. Parents, this fall, we will be back to 100% capacity to uh, maybe not, parents. Over and over, you and I are bombarded with mixed message with regard to every area of life possible, leaving us in a constant state of frustration and confusion. And one particular area of life where we're constantly bombarded with mixed messages on is the area of work work. You see, on the one hand, we're constantly warned of the dangers of falling into the perils of the rat race. Don't become a workaholic. Don't become one of those people that just work, 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 work. And yet, on the other hand, we feel this unspoken but yet very real pressure within society amongst our friends that we should put in a couple more hours at work, that we should work a little bit harder, that we should work a little bit further than what we intended in order to feel more safe, more secure, more significant, right? 
And as a result, because of these mixed messages, we find ourselves unable to know on the right attitude. We Some examples, you wake up Monday morning dreading the work week ahead of you. And yet when the weekend comes, what are you doing? You're always thinking about work. You're always obsessing over work. You're always checking your email with regard to work. Or if you happen to have one of those seasons where you're putting in 75, 80, 90 hours a week, 10 to 15 of those hours are spent wasting time, wasting the company money, hanging out and chit-chatting too much with your coworkers, spending too much time on the Internet surfing the web. It just seems that we have such an incoherent view with regard to work that leads to an inconsistent behavior with regard to our work. And all the while, we're miserable because of it. And as a result, we can't help but to ask the question, is there a way that we can, quote, no pun intended, work around all this confusion and frustration with regard to the mixed messages with working for a living? Well, that's what we hope to figure out in today's message. We're continuing our sermon series to the book of Proverbs. And one of the things that you discover as you read this book, it has a lot of wise things to say with regard to various areas of life, including the area we're focusing on today, which is our work life. We're going to take a look at Proverbs chapter 6 and Psalm 127, both penned by the same author, King Solomon. And what Solomon wants us to get are three main ideas to where if we get it and apply it, we will be able to untangle the mixed messaging of our working life to where we can have the right attitude and therefore the right approach to our work. And so three things Solomon wants us to get if we want to have a healthy, balanced work life. First, he wants us to get to work. Okay, pretty simple. First, get to work, he says. Secondly, he would say, get to sleep. And finally, get to Jesus. If there are three things you need to get if you want to have a healthy, robust, balanced work life, you need to get to work, get to sleep, and get to Jesus. Let's begin with the first point. First, get to work. Let's read our first passage for today, Proverbs chapter 6, where it reads, starting in verse 6, as the following. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So here Solomon starts off giving a stern warning, a sharp rebuke towards an individual that he calls the sluggard. The sluggard. Now you might be wondering, what in the world is a sluggard? Well, if you look up that word in any standard dictionary, you come across this definition. Quote, a sluggard is a person who is habitually inactive or lazy. A sluggard is a person who is habitually inactive or lazy. Now I know that when many of you guys hear that definition, you might be thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't describe me. I ain't a sluggard. I'm nothing like this person whatsoever. And the reason you think that way is because, hey, you're a New Yorker. And you, along with your fellow New Yorkers, you live and work in a city that, quote, never sleeps. And indeed, that is the case. According to studies, the average New York worker puts in more hours of work per week than any other American, right? And because that is so, you think that this sharp rebuke, this stern warning that Solomon is telling to the sluggard is something that you completely can tune out and ignore and not pay attention to. Because after all, I'm not the sluggard. I'm the complete opposite. I'm the workaholic. I'm the stereotypical New Yorker. And some of you guys are actually proud of it. You actually boast. You actually kind of carry yourself with this if you have this badge of honor that you work so much. And so you're tempted to tune out Solomon right now. But before you do that, I want you to listen to this very insightful and very penetrating quote 
from Pastor Anthony Salvaggio. Listen to what he says here. Quote, perhaps the Bible spends a lot more time on sluggards and a lot less on anything we would call workaholism because, listen, the workaholic is really just a variety of sluggard by another name. Both are interested in avoiding responsibilities that don't interest them. The workaholic simply avoids things by a different technique, crowding them out of his calendar. And where the sluggard is sure to suffer economic loss, the workaholic suffers losses that are often more relational than monetary, but nevertheless just as real, lasting, and painful, end quote. What's he saying? He's saying it's possible to be a workaholic and still be a lazy, inactive sluggard. In other words, it's possible to use your work as a way to avoid, as a way to be negligent on other kinds of work that God calls you to do. Here's something that you need to grasp, Christian. Whenever the Bible talks about work, it has a much more broader, more comprehensive understanding than how we think of work as mainly the thing that we just do to make money. Again, Pastor Anthony Savaggio says it this way, quote, at the simplest level, work is any set of tasks to be performed in pursuit of a particular goal. Notice, there is no mention of money in that statement. That's because, as I learned growing up, work is not just cash in exchange for labor. In many cases, of course, a worker does get paid, but some people, such as artists, work with a hope of getting paid. Some, such as college students and grad students, pay others to let them work. And some, such as at-home moms, do their work for rewards that are not financial at all. Executives, pastors, athletes, parents, service workers, missionaries, students, musicians, bloggers, retirees, every one of these perform work, a set of tasks in pursuit of a goal, end quote. You realize what he's saying? He's saying work is not intrinsically tied to your economics or the things that come out of it, like status and financial success. No, work is intrinsically attached to how you are created to function in this world. It's how you are designed by God. Listen again to what it says in verses 6 through 8 of Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Let me ask you, do you ever see an ant fly first class anywhere? You ever see an ant hire a hedge fund manager to take care of their portfolio? You ever see an ant live in a two-story apartment in the city somewhere? No. You know why? Because Ants don't work for money. They just work because that's how they're created. They work because that is in their nature. And notice what Solomon goes on to say about the work of an ant. They have no chief, no officer, no ruler. In other words, ants work without relying on some sort of external force imposing or motivating them to do their work. All they can rely on is what's within their creation, within inside which means they are compelled to work because that's how God designed them to work. And believe it or not, that is what Solomon is trying to get across with this rebuke towards the sluggard. God is telling every single one of us that he created you to work, not for the sake of money, not for the sake of status, but for the sake of work itself. Why? Because God created you to be just like him. You may be shocked to know this, but the Bible tells us that our God, he's not like the God of pagan mythology. You guys remember the gods and goddesses of Greek and Roman mythology? How lazy they were, how slothful they were, how they would just sit in their celestial thrones, gorging themselves with food, being fanned by these angels, right? That's how pagan gods are perceived. But the God of Christianity, he is a God 
who is at work and always working, which is why Jesus once said these words in John 5, verse 17. He replied, my father is always working, and so am I. God created you to work because he created you to be like him. He is the God who works. And this is something that I feel we Christians really need to grasp. Because to be honest, I feel like many of us, we're like the sluggard or like the version of a sluggard, the workaholic, where we do all we can to avoid work that God calls us to do, unless, of course, we're compensated for it or we're coerced to do it out of fear of some tragedy or some crisis that would happen if we didn't work. No, my friends, God created you and I to be like him. He created us to be faithful workers, okay? And when you understand that, then you come across the purpose as to why we work at all. Do you guys know what the purpose of work is? Consider what Pastor Tim Keller says. Quote, Christians should understand the purpose of their work in this world. We are not to choose jobs and conduct our work to fulfill ourselves and accrue power. For being called by God to do something is empowering enough. We are to seek work as a way to service God and our neighbor, and so we should both choose and conduct our work in accordance with that purpose. The question regarding our choice of work is no longer what will make me the most money and give me the most status. The question must be how, with my existing abilities and opportunities, can I be of greatest service to other people, knowing what I do of God's will and of human need, end quote. What's he saying? He's saying God created you to work so that you will fulfill the same purpose as to why our God works which is to serve our neighbor, which is to bless the people of the world. That is the primary purpose of why you and I are to work, you see? I mean, just think about some of the greatest blessings that are so rewarding in life, right? Being married, raising children, right? Feeding the homeless, sheltering the poor, helping an adult person read for the very first time. Those are some very rewarding things because they are filled with such blessings and yet so often we don't see that thing as work because guess what it is work do you know how much work it is to teach somebody how to read for the first time do you know how much work it is to be married do you know how much work it is to raise kids do you know how much work it is to put together a beautiful worship service it is all work and yet so often we don't see it as work we see it instead as what we see it as blessings as good things and solomon says that's how you should always see your work all the time with regard to all the work that you do, right? Because when you see work in that way, you cultivate the right attitude, which is not something that you should avoid at all costs, but something that you should be eager to get to because you want to bless others. So that's the first thing Solomon wants us to grasp when it comes to how we should be towards our work life. We should get to it. We should get to work because we should be eager to bless those around us, okay? But here's the thing. Solomon goes on to say that there's other things that you need to grasp as well. And to show you what that is, let me go to my next point. Get to sleep. Get to sleep. Let's read our other passage for today, Psalm 127. It says this, Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Here we read Solomon giving another stern warning, another sharp rebuke, but this time he zeroes in on the workaholic, which if you remember what I just said a moment ago is another version of the sluggard. Because just as the sluggard is lazy in doing the task of making a living, 
so also the workaholic is lazy in fulfilling the ultimate task as to why he's living in the first place. And do you know what this ultimate task I'm referring to is? It's trusting God. Trusting God. Christian, here's what you need to grasp. Your ultimate task, your ultimate responsibility, your ultimate job in this life is not to make money, is not to make a name for yourself, it's to make every effort to trust God. Let me say that again. Your ultimate task, your ultimate responsibility, your ultimate job in this life is to make every effort to trust God. To trust God. Now let me ask you. Do you know one of the ways that you can tell whether or not you trust God or not? Sleeping. Sleeping. How are you sleeping these days, Christian? Hmm? I would venture to guess that if you're like the average New Yorker, you're not sleeping much. I came across a news article in the Times Union newspaper that reported on a study that stated that only 24% of New Yorkers get the recommended eight hours per night on any given day. That means statistically 76% of you guys are not sleeping the way you should be sleeping. And why? Why aren't you sleeping? Well, I'm sure there are a variety of reasons, but I'm willing to bet that one of the main recurring reasons is because of work, right? You're worried about an upcoming presentation that you have to do. You're stressing out of an upcoming final that you have to take at the end of the semester, right? You're freaking out of an annoying coworker or a bullying manager or boss making your work a miserable time. Or maybe you have the uncertainty of whether your job will still exist after the pandemic is all behind us. Whatever the reason may be, you and I really suffer from a lack of sleep for working reasons and solomon says that it's because of that insomnia that shows to you that you and i we are sluggardly lazily inactive when it comes to our trust in god our trust in god we are sluggards when it comes to our trusting in the lord of course that begs the question what exactly are we not trusting god with Well, listen again to what it says in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Here Solomon is essentially telling us this profound principle. As we do our work, we need to trust God for our work to be a success. Let me say that again. As we do our work, we have to trust God for our work to be a success. Or if I could put it another way. With whatever work you do, whether your work for a job, your work as a parent, your work as a church volunteer, your work as a regular volunteer, your work as a friend, you have to trust that God will give you the success that comes out of your labors. That's what Solomon is saying here. Okay? Now, by saying this, he's implying something, isn't he? What is he implying? Isn't he implying that you and I can never take credit, right, for any success that comes out of our work? Isn't that what he's implying? Of course he is. And not only him, but the whole Bible says that very fact as well. I draw your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 11. It says this, Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I am giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, 
Be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and to test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. The Bible makes it clear. God created you to be like him by working, but he also created you to trust him with your work, namely that you would trust that he would make your work a success, that you would trust him with the outcome of your work. Test, test. Yeah? Sorry about that, folks. Test, test. I think this battery needs to be replaced. Can I use the mic back? I'm trusting God is going to make this a success right now. The Lord is testing me with my own words. Can you hear me? Test, test. Okay. Christian, this is something that I feel we really need to grasp. Okay? Because so often we have this mindset that it's up to us to determine the outcome of our work. That we feel solely responsible for our work to be a success. And because we do, what does that mean? It means when things go well and we are successful, what do we do? We take full credit for it and we praise ourselves because of it, right? Test, are we good? All right, let me repeat that because I think we got distracted here, okay? When we have this mindset that we are ones who are solely responsible, that we can only depend ourselves Right? In order for our work to be a success, that means that when our work is a success, what do we do? We take full credit and we give ourselves praise. But conversely, when our work doesn't go well and we fail, what do we do? We take full blame and we punish ourselves. But in both instances, do you know what you're doing? You're doing the same thing. You're treating yourself as if you are your own God. Right? Because who is the one person who alone is worthy to be praised? It's God. Who is the one person who alone has the authority to punish you. It's God. Don't you see when you do not trust the Lord with the outcome of your work, you turn yourself into your own false God and you delude yourself into thinking that you're capable of doing what only God is capable of doing, like what it says in Psalm 121, the Lord what? Never sleeps, he never slumbers. No. No, Christian, your work is something that you must depend on the Lord for when it comes to your work being a success. Why? So that you could stay faithful to the work regardless if you're succeeding or not. Sometimes God will call you to do something that the world says is unsuccessful and yet God still calls you to be faithful, right? 
Sometimes God will call you to things that maybe the world says is successful, and yet if you're not right with God, your success will lead to your downfall. You see, you must trust God always by always trusting that he is the one who is the reason and the source of your success, not you. And because you do, you're able to sleep. You're able to trust. See, that's the second thing Solomon wants us to grasp. He wants us to understand that as we get to work, we make sure we don't fall into the trap of thinking that we're the almighty himself, but instead we entrust him with the outcome of our work, evidenced by our willingness to sleep. Okay? Now, I know all of this is easier said than done because let's be honest, so much is riding on the line for the outcome of our work to be a success, right? There are still mouths to feed. There are still bills to be paid. There's still a roof to be provided for. There's still children to clothe, right? And because there's so much riding on the outcome of your work to be a success, you cannot help but to lose sleep and try to stay up or get up extra early. In other words, to try and be your own God. And the question is, how do we overcome this? How do we fulfill what Solomon says that we must get so that we work correctly? Well, this leads me to my final point. We need to get to Jesus, okay? Let's read verse 2 of Psalm 127. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Notice who Solomon says is able to sleep and hence trust God with regard to the outcome of their work. It's those who God calls his beloved. In other words, it's those who have received the status of being loved by God who are able, because of that status, to trust God with their outcome of the work and therefore sleep in the Lord, right? And according to the Bible, there's only one way a person can receive this status of God's belovedness. Let me read to you a passage of scripture that tells us exactly what that is. This is 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. We read, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. We love because he first loved us. What is this passage saying? It's saying that the only way you can achieve the status of God's belovedness is by believing the gospel. The gospel. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is the message that says you and I and everyone else were sluggards. We are all spiritual sluggards, meaning we are wretched, wicked, selfish sinners who care nothing but our own comforts, our own conveniences, our own commendation, and therefore we don't give a rip about blessing others. We only care about blessing ourselves. And because that is so, God has every right to want nothing to do with us. Instead, he has every right to reject us, to condemn us, to judge us, and most certainly he has every right to not lift one finger and to do any work whatsoever that would be to our good. And yet the Bible goes on to say God doesn't do that. He does the opposite. God labors for us. He works for us. He does an incredible, amazing work. How? By coming into the world as Jesus Christ, where he gave up all of his comforts, all of his conveniences, all of his commendation, and instead, as a human being, suffered the most grueling, the most debilitating, the most humiliating death by dying on the cross so that through his sacrificial death, 
by putting your faith in him as Lord and Savior, right, you would be completely forgiven, you would be completely restored, and you would be fully reconciled in having a life-giving, purposeful relationship with God. You see? God did the most crucial, most important work of all. He did the work of salvation. And why did he do this? Because he loves us with a forgiving, merciful, life-changing, eternal love. And when you've experienced that love, when that love has been encountered by you, that will change you to the point where you will seek to be like him in loving others. Remember, John says, we love because he first loved us. And the primary way that you will seek to love your neighbor the way Christ loved you is by working for your neighbor the way Christ worked for you in your salvation. You will work to bless and to serve others. You see? That's how you get to work, by remembering the work Christ done for you. But wait, there's more. Because not only do you get inspired to get to work through the love of Christ, but also through the love of Christ, you are enabled to trust him with the outcome of your work. Think about it, friends. If God loved you this much when he was nothing to you, don't you think he would love those who are everything to you? Let me say that again. If God loved you this much when he was nothing to you, how much more does he love those who are everything to you? Don't you remember what Jesus once said to us in Matthew chapter 7? Listen to what he says, starting in verse 9. You parents, if your children asks for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you realize God loves those who you work so hard for right now way more than you love them? God loves the people you work so hard for way more than you could ever possibly love them. And because that is true, that also means he knows way better than you what your loved ones really need, how, when they really need it, and how that need will be met through the work that you do for them, okay? And because that is so, you can trust God with the outcome of your work because you know that this God not only dearly loves you, but he loves those who you deeply love, evidenced by how hard you work for them. He loves them more than you love them, right? Christian, this is where we need to come to a realization we need to stop trying to be our loved ones gods okay we need to stop trying to be god for our loved ones because they already have someone who's well better suited way better than you or i could ever be for them in terms of trying to be their god right he is a much more better provider he is a much more faithful giver and when you understand that right that will give you peace. That will give you comfort. That will give you the ability to say, after a hard day's work, you don't need to keep checking your email. You don't need to keep reading some more stuff. You don't have to keep thinking about what's ahead three months from now, six from, months from now, whatever. You can lay and rest and trust, not only in God's love for you, but his greater love for your loved ones than your love for them. And so you can be at peace, and you can trust, and you can sleep. And so, my dear NCF, this is what I want to challenge you with starting tonight. Get to sleep, right? Don't stress. 
thinking about work that doesn't do anything and then you end up trying to binge watch Netflix to get settled down into a sleep-like state. No, remember and relish in the gospel. And then close your eyes and entrust yourself and your loved ones into the loving care of your Father in heaven. And then be refreshed the next morning and get to work for the good of this world, for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to remember these things as we think about what is to come, uh, whether it's our work at our job, our work in the home, our work in the ministry, our work amongst our friends. Father, you call us to work, and yet, Lord, you also call us to not succumb to the idolatry of self-worship that manifests in workaholism. And, Father, it is so easy to fall into all of these trappings of sluggardliness. And, God, we need your wisdom that comes only from your son, Jesus Christ, that we would remember that we can get to work, but we can also get to sleep because Jesus has allowed us to do both. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, especially now in this season where it just seems that everything is just so crazy busy. Everything is so overwhelming. Lord, as we try to navigate through this culture that we live in and the mixed messages it gives us, help us to stay faithful. Help us to not succumb to worry and fear. Help us to be faithful to you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're not going to get.